Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerd She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnell. Since I'm holding the mic stand, that's the new clap. Is the... Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. I'm Dave DeFore, and that means it's Nerder. She wrote, Joining me as always, my main man, Moda Keel. What's up, Mo? What's up, Dave? Happy to have you back, man. It's good to be back, and uh, you know my other guy, Seth Partnow. What's up, Seth? As always, seems a little more hope than recent experience. But well, oh, welcome listen, back, Dave. man. A, a guy can take some time off. I knew that the show was in good hands. Uh, thanks to John Hollinger and Kevin Pelton for stopping in and and hanging out with you guys, gracing the place with their presence. Uh, the shows were a lot of fun, so I, I, I appreciated you guys picking up the slack. Um, speaking of picking up the slack, I had to catch up on about two weeks and let's be honest, almost three weeks of basketball because of Thanksgiving over the weekend. And, um, it has led me to my favorite thing, which is PJ Tucker is allergic to scoring the basketball. This guy just not only is a hesitant shooter, which has been sort of the bell we've been ringing on this show for years. He straight up won't shoot, even when he's wide open now. And he scored nine points in the last nine games. This is insane. How is he, how is he going to play in the playoffs? I think it's a problem in the playoffs. <laughs> and this is, this is, you know, it's, it, it it's a it's been a little bit of a problem with Philadelphia all year in that their offense has not been perhaps as inclusive as it might be but this is like offense not letting people get involved plus as you say a reluctance to just shoot um he's the only player in the league who is averaging fewer than one scoring attempt every 20 chances he's on the floor um he's like uh, almost to three percentage points lower than the next lowest person. He is the, uh, has the, amongst players who've played at least 100 minutes, he has the fifth lowest time in possession. He is among the lowest playmaking in, in, in just, it's, it's not just that he's not shooting, he is not involved in their offense at all. And I think maybe you can get away with that if you're like a dive and dunk center who just, ends up never getting the ball except on lobs like a Mitchell Robinson or something like that. It's not ideal. Maybe you can get away with it. I don't think you can do that with a wing player. Well, he also doesn't, he doesn't get a lot of offensive rebounds or anything. Which is, I mean, so it's not like he's not contributing, which makes no sense, Mo, which is a big part of like, that's one of the things I thought they would get from him was him. He won a championship in Milwaukee by crashing from the corner, which is my favorite place to crash the offensive glass. But like he he's not doing that. It's so weird watching the. It's kind of gone down. Seth, I, if if you got a chance, probably look at the numbers from Miami. 
and, and compare that. And I want to know if it's been a downward trend since Milwaukee in terms of just his not even just not really taking part in the offense. And it's such an important thing. Like this was a big signing. Everybody was like huge. This is going to be big for the team and things like that. But if he's not going to be PJ Tucker, that's the problem, right? That's not what they signed him for. When he does shoot, the shot doesn't look good either. Like he looks like a guy who is nervous to shoot. I don't know if he's nursing an injury or what, but uh, you know, Mo, we, we were talking before we started recording, you know, we watched this game last night and he's wide open in the corner. They're not even thinking about guarding him out there. And he still is passing up open looks. And, you know, it's just really like clogging the offense. I mean, it's, it's the, the, a rule I was taught a long time ago was an open shot created has to be taken. And it, it, it's just important in that sense of it makes the defense have to react to you, you know, and, and he did take a shot last night. Whoa, shocking. Whoa. Uh, right. You know, like we're, we're amazed by it, but it's like it, he needs to take more of them, especially with the fact Philly is down guys. You know, it's, it's, he needs to help kind of lift up the load and make it harder for teams to just double Joel and beat. And I think that's one of the things that you got to be looking at. It's, I feel bad for Doc. He had to beg Ben Simmons to shoot, and now he's got to beg P.J. Tucker to shoot. It's a tough, like, I don't know what's going on. Well, okay. So, I, I, there's, there's some culpability there. Just, I think you have to, some of this is, this is specific to P.J. Tucker, but you also have to look at how Tobias Harris was used kind of when Philadelphia's had their full complement of players, and they basically turned him into stand in the corner and do nothing also. And... I, you know, Tobias Harris is not an all-star, but Tobias Harris is a good player. And we've kind of seen it over the last couple of weeks that you put the ball in his hands occasionally, he can he can score. I mean, his his usage has been, uh, since James Harden went out, has been just around 25 at roughly league average efficiency. Like, that's a good, solid wing player. He can, he can pass a little. Um, but if you're just having him stand in the corner and not move, you, you might as well have, I don't know, Reggie Bullock or something like that, but that's well, at least product. get a better a better shooter, better defender. You know, well that's the problem, right? That's the product of having, you know, so many ball dominant guys. James Harden, when he's on the court, is going to be ball dominant. We know Joel Embiid and should be ball dominant when he gets it. the 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 next guy in the pecking order is really Tyrese Maxey. Like it's just this is one of those things. I hate the phrase. There's not enough basketballs to go around. But in this case, there kind of is not enough basketballs to go around. And for the style that they're playing, very slow, very methodical. And this is when they have their full complement. You know, they're not they're not playing as up-tempo as you would wish with guys like Maxi and things like that. They're not playing a movement offense that would find energy and find opportunities for, for Tobias Harris. So it's like, it's not surprising that he ends up kind of sliding off into the distance of just being a, a spot-up shooter. But it's, it's, it's a product of this is... These are the guys you made moves for to play this way, and just Harris doesn't fit. Well, and I just keep thinking, you know, what are they going to do? Look, this is Shake Milton's team now. What are they going to do when Harden and Maxi come back? Uh, you know, can Harden accept a roll off the bench? No, I'm just playing. Uh, but I do think that they are running into the situation where they do have they have almost too many guys, right? Like, they may be looking to— It shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be. But the P.J. Tucker thing, I, I think, creates a problem. It, part of it's the contract because now, you know, this is year one, and I think he's got three. Uh, 
he's not going to be in your best five guys come playoff time. Not to me. I don't know if, how you guys feel about it. He may be on the defensive end, but we don't think enough about playing four on five on the offensive end. You know, we, we, we will hammer guys like Ja for giving up stuff on, on the defensive end, but you've got to play both ways now. And especially with Philly, they need a guy who's willing to shoot. Otherwise, like Mo said, the defense gets to just pound Joel Embiid every single time he touches the ball inside. So I don't know, man. Um, I'm not sure. What is, what is this team even going to look like come playoff time? Rotation wise. The, the weird thing like? is, is <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the weird thing is, is that they're, they're, they've played well recently, but it's all been on the defensive side. And can we, can we expect to see that when they have, you know, a small defensively limited, limited backcourt back in play? Probably I'm going to go out not. on a limb. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, no, Milton and Melton yeah. are good, are good. I, I love that backcourt. So um, I hope we at least get to see that in spurts off the bench or something. Um, Mo, what, what's your favorite thing this week? My favorite thing is the Washington Wizards. And it's one Which particular. hilarious. It's, 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 there's one aspect of it is they play offense fast. They get up the court quickly. They bring the ball up. It's flying up the court 20, 19 seconds on the shot clock. They're already in the actions. They're constantly moving. Like this is actually, and you, you know, it, it pains me to give Zach Harper credit, but they are a fun watch in he the sense it. of the, yeah, they, they play offense and they play it well and they move around. They get the defense moving, but they're fast. So I watched the game against Minnesota and they were just flying up the court, flying up the court every time. Make or miss, boom, ball up the court, running offense. This is something we've harped on for a long time of this is really kind of an important thing in the offense is, the longer you make a defense play defense matters. And that's what they're doing. And that's part of the reason why they're on a, a, a nice run. Obviously the players have a lot to do with it, but I think this, this playing quicker thing really suits this team. I think Bradley Beal uh, has done a really good job of buying into their offense. Um, I like how he's finding the shooters on his drives a little bit more this year and, and not necessarily turning them into assists, but he's just making stuff happen. And it's important to point out Kyle Kuzma is averaging almost 21 points a game and about eight rebounds. This guy is good. They've got a good team, actually. What, what are they missing? A guard? Defensive I, wing? I mean, it, you're really you're really wishing guys like Denny Advia or Rui Hachimura would have developed. And and Denny's been all right, not great, but like you're 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 still hoping that those guys would have taken a little bit of a further leap and, and they just haven't. But like if, if one of them does find their way throughout this season, like this team goes to another tier, you know, and I think they're, they're in a different level in that sense, but just like what they have, you know, and, and it's just funny. And if they can keep Porzingis healthy, who's been freaking awesome for them, like that's, that goes a long way for them and, and him playing center instead of power forward and things like that all makes a difference for the squad. It's just, you know, some of their, Past draft transgressions, shall we say, uh, have have come back to haunt them a little bit. And it, again, if they if they could get some internal development from either of those guys, um, you know, they they would be in much better position. But I don't know. I mean, Seth, Will Barton was a good pickup. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly like what they can go do, but it feels like the, they should make the play in right. 
Maybe. Probably. I mean, in in the East, probably. Um, it's there's a little bit of hair splitting, I think, at the bottom of of that of that kind of the the so what would you say about the seven to eleven range in the Eastern Conference, and so you know they only have to beat one or two teams to make the play-in. So just you know, sheer uh, naive odds, they probably. Well, we all expect the Indiana Pacers to drop out, don't we, Seth? Are you teeing me up for my favorite thing? I mean, are we yeah, are we moving on? Are we works, moving yeah. on? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my 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 favorite thing is is Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I've liked him since I both scouted him and he was blowing up my draft model his his freshman year of Iowa State. Um, I think that everyone who liked him was seeing him as not necessarily a or not at all as a um, main offensive driver, but as a, a super high level connector who can, you know, pass, move, defend, shoot a little. Uh, instead, he is leading the league in playmaking usage. He is fifth in the league in my total usage stat. He is uh, developed as a scorer to the point where he is not just an, a pass only guy. Uh, and he's doing it all while taking care of the ball and playing for a team that has been uh, surprisingly good so far. And I don't think flukishly so. I mean, it's funny. We've tried to have this conversation about Ty- Tyrus Halliburton three different times, and we've gotten derailed every time, mainly my fault, um, going to the talking about other people. But he's just been phenomenal in the way that he's – first off, he's a certified all-star. If we want to talk about a guy that should be an all-star right now, it's him. There's no question about it in my mind. The fact that he had a, a stretch of 40 assists with zero turnovers that came to the end the other day with two turnovers – against um Sacramento Sacramento it's 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 impressive and I think the the he's got them playing well that pass he made to beat the Lakers was really impressive and to hear him kind of break it down where he says I saw AD go into the corner I knew LeBron was in the paint the cover for AD I hit uh and this is gonna take me a second to make sure I get his name correctly Nemrod? Nemrod? No, no, not Nemrod. Not Nemrod. Nemhard. <laughs> Nem- Nemhard? Sorry. sorry. Nemhard. Sorry. Uh, Nemhard, right on the money for a monster three to game to hit the game winner. That was a hell of a play. And I think that's one of those things you're watching and you're going, this is the stuff that he's bringing to the table. And it, I mean, it's not flukish what they're doing right now. Well, Rick Carlisle has done a really good job of putting the ball in his hands and letting him make decisions and spacing the floor. I mean, they're, they're shooting the hell out of the ball. I I just keep thinking about Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And I kind of hope the Pacers keep those guys. You've got a fun you- team. They fit. Those guys fit what you're doing right now. Miles Turner is, what, 26 years old? I mean, which I understand is ancient in NBA media terms. But, I mean, that's a good, solid team. And I know that, you know, they're not in a market that, that can withstand a, a true tank. Or at least allegedly. I, mean, I guess if you get Victor Wembanyama, you're you're withstanding anything. Well, they're, they're too good to but tank. This they're year. too good to tank for sure. But I, I just mean there is no impetus for them to pull the plug on this. So what what that, if they don't drop out? I mean, Tyrese yeah. Halliburton is going to be he's going to be in all NBA conversations. Then, I mean, I, I think potentially even MVP conversation, given how how weird this season is looking so far. I, I mean, I, I think that that 
Turner sticking around because I think he's he has certainly expanded his game um, offensively. He's no longer just kind of, he he's no longer playing like a a seven foot small forward all the time. He's throwing the basket a bunch, making some plays on the move and and taking advantage of mismatches a little more. Um, healed, I think, if they wanted to rebalance the roster and get get some more like wing sized guys, if that was available, I think given that you can just give those minutes to to Nemhard and Matherin and uh, when he comes back, Chris Duarte and Aaron Neesmith is, has even shown some flashes recently. I think that, you know, clearing the way for, for, for Matherin, especially to start playing, you know, 32, 34 minutes a game. Um, I think that would, that, that, that would be fine for them both short and long-term. Um, but in terms of, of um, why not go forward? I mean, you have, you have what seems like a good foundation for a team in Halliburton and Matherin. Um, may, like, does that is that the foundation of a sixty plus win team? But maybe I don't know. It, it it comes down to the decision though of Miles Turner. You know he's going to be a free agent. I can't imagine he wants to re-sign there just to to sign a contract and go through five more years of wanting to be traded. Yeah, money's nice, but then just being in the rumors every other day uh, would would be fine. I think the uh, it comes down to that question. Because do you break up this team that has a chance to be really good and is building something? And you're right, Seth. I think that backcourt has a chance to really be special. It, do you break that up right now in terms of just Turner, who probably isn't in your long-term plans, but do you shoot, shoot up this season by trading him for an asset because you're afraid to lose him in, in free agency? I think that's really the, the hard question they're going to have to figure out. But the... They're probably just wait and see mode. See where we're at mid-January. Is this ride going? Because, you know, like we talk about, the standings are tight in both conferences. And it's it's kind of ridiculous. A bad week and you can kind of just go down the 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 well there. And I think it's an important thing to keep an eye on with, you know, their appetite for possibly trading Turner. I mean, the the, the Pacers are right now like three and a half games out of second in the East. They're also which, three games out of out of uh 13th exactly yeah or so, 12 yeah. sorry it is early uh we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna talk offense it has been a historic season for offense so far and we've got the guy seth part now with the numbers like we know this it, it is officially ridiculous these scores are out of control and the boston celtics currently have an offensive rating that I don't think any of us expected to see. We've talked about this before a couple years back. I want to say, was it the Mavericks had like a 115 or 116 offensive rating? And we had a discussion about peak offense. Is this the upper limit? Well, clearly, that was not it. Currently, the Boston Celtics, through 22 games, have a 121.5 offensive rating. Seth, has anyone ever come close to this for for like this big of a stretch uh i don't know about for this big of a stretch you gotta give you time to research that <laughs> I didn't 20, yeah um i i mean i think that there are are bits about them having an often awesome offense that are very sustainable and also i think that top line number is going to come down to earth a little bit it has to um, um it's it's a little bit um you know, there's 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 a certain amount of Grant Williams, Sam Hauser, 
Luke Cornett, everyone else just being absolute flamethrowers from from the outside. On on uh, on the flip side, though, um, without Robert Williams, um, they have five shooters on the floor at all time. They have at least three, sometimes four, and occasionally even five passers and, and ball handlers on the floor. Uh, and you have Jason Tatum, who has um, taken another, I don't know if it's a leap, but he's certainly taking a step forward this year um, from what was already, you know, a very high level last year. So that's, yes, that's going to be, that's going to be a great offense. Like, you know, we, we there's these the one man offensive engines, like, like, you know, Luca or Giannis, imagine what their offense would look like if you put four shooters and multiple ball handlers around them at all times. I mean, Mo, we've hammered this team. You know, we hammered them last year in the finals for the way that their offense, the, you know, there was just no trust there. And I think what we've seen so far, I mean, it's easy to trust your teammates when they're all shooting 41%. And, uh, you know, a further stat to back that up. There's hey, he's no not te- Mo. No, I just, I, there was, there was, just <laughs> there's, I have one Mo thing. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, there's no team that has, has gone further oh, towards team-created shots from self-created shots from last year than this year's Celtics. I, 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 don't, I haven't checked after last night, but it was – the, the the shift from the number of shots they're coming that are assisted potentially assisted is uh, several points higher this year and it's the, easily the biggest change in the league from last year. I mean, it, to be honest, that's where the eye test matches the numbers. Plain and simple. When you're watching that stuff, it's you're seeing the ball hop much more. You're seeing it fly. You're seeing Tatum set screens, you know, and being more of a screener in 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 that environment. It's kind of interesting. You almost feel like they saw what the Warriors offense looked like and said, we could do that and probably do it at a better scale uh, with the current guys we have right now. And I think that's sort of where they're at and how they're pushing forward with things. And I think it's pretty interesting with with that shift into it offensively because this time last year we were killing them. It was all 101. It was all isolation. It was all stuff. But they're also not just doing stuff in the half court. They're pushing the ball. They're getting out in transition a little bit more. They're really flying up the court. Like, it's fun to watch. Like, their offense is a thing of beauty right now. Well, they actually are running offense. That's shocking that's the thing. Right? Shocking. They had, they've had the talent. Well, imagine, they got to the finals last year, and we didn't ever feel like they trusted their offense. In this season, they do. Now, the defense is another story, but once they add Rob Williams to that, I mean, they, you know, that's something else. On the other hand, Phoenix, the Suns. Now, they've been consistent for us the last few years. I mean, we called them a wins machine last year, and they're right back to it, even though we, you know, maybe we read too much into the bad vibes, but they're they're doing this without Chris Paul, without Cam Johnson. You know, they they had the stretch without Aiton. Um, they just keep pumping out wins and, and consistent offense. They're second in the league in, in offense right now. I mean, it's it's the thing that's kind of beautiful about them is we've asked them, we've done this with other teams. You got to change your offense. You got to be a little bit more just not one way. And I feel like they're beginning to do that. You have more guys attacking off the dribble with guys like Bridges. Um, Cam's hurt, so that doesn't count. But you know, you have more, a little bit more kind of fluidity. Damian Lee's been phenomenal for them in the fourth quarter. But more importantly, Devin Booker's been amazing. Like he's not getting talked about much. He's been a phenomenal. He just had what fifty points 51. in three quarters, fifty-one. In, it was in three quarters on twenty to twenty-five shooting. Like yo, 
like he, 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 we're not talking about him, and it's weird because we just kind of put them in that box. But he's playing at a level that's unbelievable, and they're doing things a little bit differently. They're running some more isolations for him, running him off of Iverson action into getting him into the elbow and letting him operate from there. Like this is a fun wrinkle that they're kind of beginning to put together with with everything that they have. And when they get Chris Paul back, who God knows when that's going to be, it'll it'll be interesting. Then they start incorporating that pick and roll stuff with some of these isolation things. This is a really interesting Phoenix team. I'm concerned about depth and, and things like that. But right now, this is a really interesting squad, and we're just not giving them enough attention. Well, the the Jacques Lawndale wrinkle has been really, really good for them. Um, I mean, Seth, like when he comes in off the bench, it's just like a it's a different offense. It's again, it's it's five shooters on the floor. Um, that's the I think we've seen time and again how powerful that is. I mean, that was sort of the the uh, Porzingis method in Dallas when they were when they were having that 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 kind of historic level of offense was. It's like, oh yeah, we got our center twenty eight feet from the basket. And you got to guard him out there. Um, now I don't think Lawndale is is nearly the threat from the outside, obviously, but structurally, it makes sense. I will say for Phoenix, I think and and rightly so. I think we're in a little bit of prove it in the playoffs mode with them. Um, and that's, you know, on, on some level that's, that's selling them short on another. That's, um, that's reality. That's a, it's a reality. And that's a good spot to be. If you're a team, right. it's like, okay, like, I don't, okay. You're going to win a bunch of the games in the regular season. I don't care because we know you're going to run it. Like if you're already at the point where we know you're going to win a bunch of regular season games, that's sort of like, yes, we know you're a top five ish team now show it in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and, and I think for Boston, so like just the dichotomy between these two teams, I actually believed in Boston already, and now I believe in them more. Like I think Boston can win the title this year. The the offense that they're playing right now, and of course it will come down to earth, but they are running just better stuff. So this was one of my big concerns for them coming into the season, especially with the the coaching continuity issue. But this is the best offense I've ever seen Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown be a part of. And with Phoenix, like you said, I do want to see it in the playoffs, but it's more I worry about the other end. I mean, the the one thing is they've changed things up. But, Dave, I have a question. You don't think it's sustainable to have 57 guys shoot above 40% from three? Mm. I mean, that's what Boston's doing <laughs> right now. Like It's, it's absurd. They're three-point shooting, shooting almost numbers. almost 41% from three. As it's going to come down. But they've of got course, good but... shooters. And, and this is the thing. It's like the Malcolm Brogdon pickup, to give them that sort of guard play, and he comes in off the bench, and then Derek White is having a fantastic shooting season, which – now that I worry about whether it's sustainable, but the Brogdon pickup, it may turn out to be the pickup of the of the summer because of what he's done to stabilize their bench. And then also they can close with him. You know, he's another guy. He's an excellent pick and roll player. He just can do everything. And they haven't even paired him with Rob Williams yet. So, um, man, I, I'm probably too high on Boston. I will say a little of the same slowdown in terms of Phoenix is – Right now, they're beating everyone so badly that they're not really having the problem we saw. Last year's Boston team was by, I mean, I've, I look like to look at clutch play by, you know, how you get into, you know, obviously, the difference between you're up five and down five with five minutes left is about the difference between about 90 and 10% win probability. So looking at clutch record relative to that uh, and, as, and as good as the team is overall, last year's Boston team was possibly the worst performing clutch team 
of the last decade or more relative to all those factors. Um, and I think a lot of it is what we saw in the finals in terms of their offense, just like, well, no, we're going to, we're going to play like uh, the U S soccer team in the last 20 minutes of a game that we need to not give up a goal. in. Uh, and it's, you know, the, the bunkering basically their, their offense at in, Will that still happen when they're playing close games, when they're playing tough, uh, tough opponents? And will they go into these funks where it's just someone dribbling at the top of the floor for, you know, 12 seconds? Um, need to see that not happen in big moments to believe it won't happen in big moments. Well, uh, these are the teams we're impressed with. We're going to take a quick break and we'll talk about the teams that we're a little bit disappointed in. Okay, so the Atlanta Hawks made a big trade. They got DeJounte Murray, and this was supposed to fix everything for the Mo. And there have been flashes, right? But it's a little bit offensively, it's still a little bit my turn, your turn. And um, I- I'm curious, what are they supposed to do, Mo? Because this is not working. You, when you have Trey Young, it feels like you should be at least a top 10 offense, if not top 8. And it just seems like their offense is still pretty clunky. Yeah, I haven't looked at the numbers after last night's game when they beat Orlando, which everybody should just hold on. They beat Orlando. Like, don't go nuts. Um, but they're like in the in the 20s, right, in, in offensive rating. And it's a bit frustrating when you're watching that stuff. Listen, DeJounte Murray came in. Just remember, everybody, Trey Young's going to be off the ball. This is going to be great. This is going to work out perfectly for them. When you watch them, yeah, Trey Young's off the ball. But there's a massive difference between being an active participant in the offense and a passive participant in the offense. And he's a very passive participant in the offense. Yes, he stands in the corner. You have to guard him in the corner. And that's a value there. But it's such a difference in terms of if he's moving, if he's setting screens and things like that. It opens things up for them offensively. And it opens stuff up for him. Gets him easier looks and more opportunities and and so on. It's it's kind of sad. You just watch this team, and it's just no creativity. And I and I really point to more Nate McMillan than anybody else. There should be this team should be playing a little bit faster. They should be playing like Washington, playing faster, get the ball up the court quicker. They need to run more pistol action, run more screen, screen their actions. For the God's sakes, get John Collins involved. The dude barely touches the ball. I mean, it's 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 kind of amazing. Like you have all these tools. There's no reason this offense should be this bad. It should be one of the better offenses we're talking about in the NBA with just all the tools they have. And don't get me started when they put DeJounte Murray in the corner. Because I'm not guarding him. I don't care. I don't care what his percentage is from the corner. He's not a good shooter. I'm clogging the paint. And I'm going to trust that they're not going to find him in the corner at that point. I just The whole thing is disappointing when I watch them. It frustrates the hell out of me. We probably don't hammer Nate McMillan enough. For his lack of creativity on offense. I mean, remember this guy, and maybe this is creative. He was running pin downs for long twos up until, you know, last season. Um, you know, we we go after Tom Thibodeau often for needing an offensive coordinator. I think it's probably past time for one in Atlanta. I mean, when you have two dynamic guards, it that's easy. It's easy to figure that out. Seth, I mean, we're, we're not even like, getting second side action. Right. This is Seth, it's it's more than just missing shots, right? I think that they, uh, by nature of how they the the lineups they put out there, they again like at the three, DeAndre Hunter is 
fine, but he's not like, oh, God, I can't leave him open. Um, Collins is fine, but if you're reducing him to like a, a spot up four, you're kind of wasting him. And then, you know, they play a non-shooter at the five always, even though Kongwu has has looked to take a few more jumpers. I don't think it's there yet. So I think that that's, that's a little bit of a structural issue that you can't just go like spread pick. Like the, the personnel to play the idealized, you know, put the ball and tray in DeJounte's hands and spread them out and play pick and roll. But you don't, you don't really have the personnel to do that. So yeah, you got to figure something, you got to figure out another way to do it. Maybe it's, it's, um, involve Collins in, you know, some, some elbow action, some, some dribble handoff stuff, just do more with John Collins basically is, is as always the, uh, the solution here. I mean, I, there's a reason I've tried to trade him to half the teams in the league is I think he is one of the most underutilized players in the league right now. You know, we talked about Tobias Harris earlier and, and I think John Collins is, is in much the same way. And a guy that is massively overqualified for the, Hey, stand there and, you know, don't do anything role that they're sometimes put in their offense. I mean, just looking at Trey Young's offensive stuff from uh, Synergy, he's ran 14 p- plays off screens, 19 dribble handoffs. Like, there, that needs to be up more. I'm sorry. Run a Spain action and put him in the screen, you know, and have him as a screener. Just anything other than just high pick and roll, double drag. Like, it's just, you got to change this stuff up. It becomes so easy to defend with everything that they do. And it's just, it, it I'm going to start yelling, guys. It just drives me absolutely insane. I want to throw stuff at the TV. I just get so annoyed with it. It's the lack of creativity with that. And Seth, great point in the sense of you're not maximizing your guys. You're not even getting the best out of DeJounte Murray on possessions because you're just standing him in the corner. It just doesn't make sense. They need these guys to be active participants in the offense. It's just that simple. And 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 the way they're playing it right now, this team's not there's a reason why they're a playing team right now. Because their John offense Collins, John Collins has taken fewer than 10 shots a game. Playing it. I mean, that tells me number one, you're not running any pick and roll with him, basically. You know, how is he they not started the year? They started the, the very start of the year, like, and then well, Capella's not doing anything because they're running all the pick and roll for John Collins. I just don't understand how you're not, I mean, pick and pop with John Collins. A guy can shoot and he gets no shots. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Another team. And and look, this is going to sound unfair because the Clippers have been without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for most of the season. But this is exactly the same problem that they've had for years. And this is exactly why it's a problem. When you have guys, your stars aren't going to be there. If you don't have an offense, now you're trying to run this ISO heavy, you go get a shot for us with guys who are not Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and your offense stinks, man. The Clippers' offense stinks. Mo, what do they, like, when Kawhi and Paul George aren't out there, should they just be running everything through Zubac? I mean, I don't know, but just run any offense? Besides just, hey, let's just go matchup hunting. Like, I watched the, their win against Portland, which, great win. They had a phenomenal fourth quarter. Norman Powell went completely off. It was all off isolations, and let's just attack Simons. There was no real offensive plan behind that, which frustrates me because Ty Lue is actually a really good offensive coach. Go watch the stuff he ran with LeBron when he was in Cleveland. He ran some really good things. 
there's just none of that there. And I don't know if it's because, hey, the two guys are out, so we're just not going to run anything and hope we can make enough shots in games. I mean, we talk about this being a make-and-miss league. This is a make-and-miss team. If they're making their shots, great, because they're not running offense. It's can they make tough shots? They're going to win games. When they miss those tough shots, they're not going to win games. And it's going to be stuff like Zubac has to have a monster, monster game against the Pacers to to carry them over the top. Like it's, I, I am asking these two teams, where is the creativity? Where do something? What are you doing in practice? Make or miss. You're right. Their offense relied on Zoo picking up 12 offensive rebounds in that game. And it, it's, I guess that's a strategy, Seth, but it doesn't seem like one that's very effective. And again, and chase. Again, when the playoffs come and you assume Kawhi and Paul George are going to be out there, okay, yeah, maybe that's better, but you have no system to get you buckets when the shots aren't dropping. You're taking the toughest mix of shots in the league. Which there it is. If and by a decent margin, um, by I mean by almost a, you know by my way of accounting about seven tenths of a point, uh, which is a pretty big gap. Um, that if you if your offense starts with like Kawhi and Paul George, I can see that because you know the, the a lot of Kevin Durant teams have had had you know poor kind of quote unquote shot quality. A lot of like some 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 of the better Steph like the Steph um, uh, KD teams did not have great quote unquote shot quality, but they have because they have guys who can operate in those areas effectively. It works. Um, I don't know that I th- I think that the point to be made here is that it is a offense that to the extent it is designed, it is designed for those things to happen. And so it's based on if we have these two dudes, this works. And now that we don't have these two dudes, we're trying to have Reggie Jackson and Norm Powell, you know, be understudies. Um, I, you, you come away with the performance that night saying, man, I wish I had seen this the night where the lead was playing, not the understudy because it kind of sucked. Bring back Lynn Manuel basically is what I'm saying. Uh, well, don't do that, please. Um, but oh, I do. Shots. Yeah, not not a fan. I, I do think you you're allowed to run an offense even when you have great individual stars, right? Like this is just they're not mutually exclusive ideas. Um, I don't get why you can't run an offense with Kawhi and Paul George, and then you fall back on the isolation scoring. That's sort of how this is supposed to work, Mo. It's basketball. Look at Boston. Look at Boston. Look at Boston. What they're doing this year. I mean, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility here for the Clippers. And maybe, hey, maybe they're just waiting till they get their guys. Maybe they're until they get healthy and get those guys out there. Yeah, we're just so gonna on. wait until the halfway but, point of the season to start running our offense. But the problem is the other guys won't know how to play. Your role players won't have an idea of that. And you know, I'm not a big Marcus Morris fan. And, and and sure enough, but he was asked to be a big scorer for them last year. He's going to be asked to take a, a step back this year in that role when those guys are on the floor. Is he? Is he going to? I don't know. And 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 you're not putting creating those opportunities for him to get adjusted to this new role. And you're going to ask him to switch roles midway through the season. It's tough, man. Like this is the this is the challenge. You got to start doing this stuff now because the habits you build now are what's going to carry you in the playoffs. 
And that's why when people say the regular season doesn't matter, bullshit. This shit matters in the regular season because what you're doing now is going to carry over in the playoffs. So how you play now is the important thing for the playoffs. And I just think they're putting themselves in a really bad spot. I, I think my, my one bit of defense would be that you're asking is they, they haven't had a ton of, of, of continuity in who's available, who's going to have the ball in their hands. And I, so I think that that, um, you know, ideally, yes, you would, you have a system that blah, blah, blah. But if like the trigger is, is, uh, variably available, that kind of makes the, the, the starting point of the whole thing a little tougher. Now, would you hope it would still be better than than it's been? Yes, but I do think that we that there's a little bit of a maybe as as guys come back, but at the same time, you know they're they're probably not going to practice a ton because I, I can't imagine when I, them they're going to want to put Kawhi through a bunch of practices if he plays two games and misses twenty. But I'm but getting deja vu. We've been doing this since Kawhi and Paul George yeah. got to the Clippers. I mean, this is the thing, right? It's every year with them, and 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 to be honest, this is the same stuff. They were running last year. You know, it wasn't different when they had Paul George on the floor. You know, and, and you can do these things when you have Paul George. I get your point, Seth, and I, I agree with you. Like, you don't have your guys. It's hard to kind of put them. But there's absolutely no structure to what they do. And that's kind of the thing that 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 really drives me nuts is there's there's just no, no identity to them offensively. And they're just hoping their individual talent's going to take them all the way. And that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I'll say this. This is a team that probably feels like, oh, you know what? If, we, if we're the seven seed, we could win a game and then, you know, still. I, I wouldn't trust that because I've seen these guys and what they look like when they're cold. They'll get beat. I mean, Reggie Jackson goes three for 17 in a game and all of a sudden the Clippers go home after the play in. I think that we're still talking to the we're, we're, we're ju- grading the curve of the Clippers on the title contender curve. And I think that, I think the real thing is, is they're, they're much more at this point. We have to consider them a chip in a chair team rather than a team that we're going to go into playoffs. You know, they're, they're really in the inner circle. I mean, right now it's, you know, Phoenix, Denver, Boston, Milwaukee, add another in Denver's quietly kind of righted themselves. Um, I think to get outside of that group of teams, we, Maybe you add one or two more, but everyone else is like, well, if everything breaks right and their guys are healthy and they, uh, and that's the, the, the context in which we should be putting the Clippers right now, not presumptive title faves. But they put themselves in that spot because they have, this is, this is what they're tied to. This is their roster. This is who yep. they've given up a ton of free uh, uh, draft picks and things like that. They've, they've kind of, I understand what you're saying in terms of the media in that sense, but they have to view themselves as contenders because if it doesn't work with these two guys, there's no recourse for a while. There's no way to fix it, to, to, to crawl out of this in a, for a bit. You gave up Shea Gilgis Alexander, which, you know, granted, Paul George was a better player. You give up Shea Gilgis Alexander to get Kawhi and, and Paul George. I yeah. understand, but oof. it's all Joe Engel's fault. It is Joe Engel's fault, as usual. Uh, you guys got anything else as we wrap up? No, baby, just fight on, baby. Let's go, SC, fight on. This might not age very well. <laughs> yeah, um, all right. Well, for Seth and Mo, I'm Dave. That's going to do it for this week on the Athletic NBA Show. This has been Nerder. She wrote.